Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads Land Grant Holy Land's College Basketball Podcast. My name is Connor Lamans, and I will be joined in just a moment by my co-host Justin Goba for episode 26 of our weekly basketball show or conversation or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, shout out to all the folks who have been listening for the first 25 episodes. We hope that uh, you know this gives the slice of, of college sports fans who you know maybe love basketball more than football or love basketball just as much as football it's definitely a minority it's not a huge amount of people we hope that you know this gives you just a little something to dive into during the week um 25 episodes down and hopefully at least 25 more before they cut us off last week we talked to fox sports mark titus famous ohio state graduate and guard uh, about all kinds of stuff so if you missed that make sure to scroll down the feed in spotify uh give that a listen but, Justin, this week we've got plenty of Ohio State stuff to talk about. We have not recorded an episode since the Purdue game. Um, the Buckeyes play Iowa tonight. They've got another home game against Maryland in a few days, so it's, it's a lot to keep up with. Yeah, and just a quick disclaimer about the Iowa game. We are recording this Wednesday night. As of right now, the Iowa game is still on. It is still being played. Iowa's plane is having some kind of weird mechanical issues, which feels like not a good thing for a plane, but I'm not an engineer. Uh, but as of right now, the game is still on, but when you're listening to this, it might be off. So just clarification there. Um, hopefully it's still on because they need to play some games as we get into. And I don't know where they would reschedule this game as we will also get into. But um, yeah, let's hope that let's hope that game is actually get, gets played. Yeah, I think the first thing that we want to talk about before we talk about Iowa, um, since we have not recorded anything since last Thursday, obviously there was a really big game on Sunday at Purdue. Um, Buckeyes fall down by 20 points in the second half. I think they were down by six or, or nine at halftime. They dropped down they're down like 52-32 early in the second half. Seemed like it was all over, was snowballing out of control. Mackey Arena is very loud. Um, Zach Eady is nine feet tall. There was nothing they could do to stop Zach Eady. And somehow they clawed back, um, got it back within three. Purdue had the ball, and Kyle Young stole an inbounds pass for Purdue. Uh, the was not talked about nearly as much as it should have been talked about. And I don't think in the box score they even credited Kyle Young with the steal. But he steals the inbounds, kicks it out to Liddell. Liddell ties it with 20 seconds left. And we know what happened after that. Jaden Ivey, um, cold-blooded killer, knocks down a three at the buzzer. A terrible shot as far as trying to get a good look. It was a very difficult shot. Cans it from right in front of the Purdue bench. Purdue wins by three. Yeah, shout out to Jaden Ivey because at the end of the game, Matt Painter said that ball was supposed to go to Zach Eady, But Jaden Ivey accidentally ran the wrong way. So shout out to Jay Ivey for blowing up the play just so he could get his. Um, we got we we love a king that can do that. Um, yeah, I mean this was just one of those games where it, it's it's a horrible matchup for Ohio State. Honestly, it might be the worst matchup in college basketball for Ohio State just with the way Jay Ivey plays. Zach Eady being seven foot three, Travion Williams is an Ohio State killer, um, and Sasha Stevanovich is kind of exactly what he needs to be for Purdue. Plus, you get a game like. Mason Gillis had, which was like eight points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. He was just like every single time they needed a big play, Mason Gillis was there for that 
to provide that. So it, the fact they got this thing back down to three points was pretty, pretty incredible. EJ Liddell was 0 for 5 from three before he hit those two in front of the bench um, or at, at the end of the game. So, you know, credit to EJ Liddell for just trusting himself, trusting his shot. Um, like you said, Kyle Young making Kyle Young plays. I've seen a lot of people criticize Kyle Young uh, as if they just don't know like what he does. I don't know what you want more from Kyle Young. He's not going to give you 20 and 10 a game. That's not his role in this team. That's not what he does. But he'll give you these kinds of plays late in games that can, I mean, literally win you games. That's what he does. He, he's, a, he's a winner, and he'll make winning plays. Um, you know, and you, you, Jamar Wheeler was still – you could tell he was still a little hobbled. Um, you know, they got good minutes from Cedric Russell, but, again, I think Cedric Russell, the game started getting a little too fast for him, just a little bit because he, he took a couple shots that were like, whoa, hey, kind of rained back a little bit, but still still played very well. Um, this was not Zed Key's game, so it was nice to see Joey Bronk step up. He played the most minutes he's played all season, I believe, at 13. So that was what they needed from him, show some physicality. And, look, at the end of the day, um, I think people talk about moral victories a lot, and a lot of people will disagree that they mean anything. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about them, but I think this game, this game is a kind of game that can help you win games in March. Right, because Purdue is going to be a one seed or two seed. There's no, they're not, they're not fluctuating anywhere else. So to show that you can already, and also they fought back against Duke. Remember, they were down against thir- they were down by thirteen against Duke too. So you're talking about two games where you've been down by double digits in the second half that you've now fought back and tied and won one of them and tied the other one with twenty seconds left. Two teams that are going to be one or two seeds in the tournament. So. Um, these are the kind of games that kind of propel you into March. You're going to lose games. Losing at Mackey Arena isn't a big deal. I promise you. A lot of teams do it. Um, losing at Mackey Arena to Oral Roberts isn't great. But losing at Mackey Arena to Purdue is not a big deal. So you move on. You take what you can have. And then you, you take games like this. And you help that propels you into these games against Iowa, Maryland, Michigan. Games that you should win. And it helps you when you get to March. Well, first of all, I would defend Kyle Young with my life. So anybody that wants to talk shit about Kyle Young will have to go through me first. Um, You're clearly just not watching the game if you don't think he's providing something for the team. He is legitimately the best example I've ever seen of the very corny, the very corny and um, phrase that gets overused of, you know, the stuff he does just doesn't show up in the box score. Like he's so much better than the stats show. Cause like when people say that, I'm like, will you please, will you please just shut up? I'm tired of hearing this, but literally Kyle Young, um, he just makes impact plays. He makes impact plays when they need to be made. They didn't credit him with a steal, but like literally just an example, end of that Purdue game, the very final play, Purdue is up three points, 20 seconds left. If Purdue inbounds that ball um, correctly, they get fouled. They hit their two free throws. Then it's a five-point deficit with whatever, 15 seconds left. It doesn't really matter what happens to them. Ohio State's probably not overcoming a five-point deficit with 15 seconds. Instead, Kyle Young swats down on it, smacks it away from whoever they're inbounding it to. I know Isaiah Thompson was the one inbounding it. I don't remember who he's going to. Swats it away from the guy, grabs it himself, kicks it out to, to Liddell, who hits the shot that ties the game. They didn't credit him with a steal. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know who else he would credit with a steal, or if they just, you know, just called it a Purdue turnover that was not forced. It was. It was very much forced. Um, that's just a big play. He's he's a stud. He needs to play. And Ohio State is much better when he is um, on the floor versus unavailable. And I think most Ohio State fans know that and appreciate him. And 
you know, want him on the floor as much as possible. But yeah, you're right. Um, any Ohio oh, State yeah. fan that was any Ohio State fan that said, you know, going to Mackey against Purdue, this is a game that they have to win. This is a game that we should expect to win. Is kind of delusional. Um, real quick, I just went through the play by play. They credited the steal to Malachi Branham, so that was just that was an oopsie because that was very much Mal Young. Yeah, he he was not involved in the play at all. Uh, he wasn't. Yeah, he didn't take the shot. He wasn't even there. So uh, oh, yeah, that was a that was messed up by the official score there. Anyway, notorious notorious doppelgangers Malachi Branham and Kyle Young. I can only think 22 and 25. That's probably the mistake they made. Because when you're doing, as someone who did official stats for Kent State University basketball team, you don't do names, you do numbers. So they probably just fat fingered at 22 instead of 25. Shout out flashes. Just, just wanted um, to say, yes, shout out to Kent State. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're an Ohio State fan and you're like, this is a game that Ohio State should win, we should always expect to go in and beat Purdue at Mackey when they're a top, <laughs> they're going to be a top five team whenever the new AP poll comes out. Um, you're just crazy. Like, I understand that. You should be competitive, which they were competitive, but you can't honestly think that this is a game that it's not like you're walking into Nebraska and you're like, we should always beat Nebraska, even if it's on the road. Like Purdue is a different beast. They are um, the toughest matchup I've seen this year watching any team. I mean, that includes Baylor, Gonzaga, even Auburn. I mean, you could argue that Auburn's a better team than Purdue, but Purdue is just set up so perfectly to just especially against Ohio State because their biggest guy is Zed Key, who's like 6'8". And watching Zed Key try to guard Zach Eady was like watching a big brother just like mess around with his little brother because Zach Eady is just so big that he keeps the ball up high. The only way that you can stop him is by sending at least two defenders to him. And then the problem is that Purdue has eight guys that shoot at least 36% from three. Um, So literally it does not matter. As long as Zach Eady finds somebody on the perimeter – they're probably knocking that shot down. It's just, it's a, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, that's what E.J. Liddell said after the game. They talked to E.J. Liddell and, um, I forget who else, but they talked to E.J. Liddell and he said that he was like, you know, when I go home and stuff, people call me a really big human, but compared to him, I'm not, I'm a normal human. That's a huge human. You know, talking about Zach Eady and Trevion Williams. So it just, it, like I said, it's just a nightmare matchup and it's going to happen. You know, I think it happened last year a lot with Ohio State. Um, because of their kind of lack of size. So when you face – and they did a good job against certain guys. They did a bad job against other guys. It just kind of depends. And, um, and it, I mean, it's not like – look, let's be honest. It's, it's not like Zach Eady went crazy. You know, he didn't have 30 and 15. It's a unique thing for Purdue, though, because, like, I know that the immediate response from people is going to be, well, maybe if they had a real center, they wouldn't have this problem. I mean, yeah. but you've seen – but you've four. seen Zed Key – right, he's – fucking seven foot four you've seen zed key defend mark williams from duke who's like six ten your traditional big center you've seen them defend other traditional centers zach Eady is the tallest player in college basketball he's not just another center so against most teams with the regular center zed key is pretty good at guarding some bigger guys but zach Eady is legitimately eight inches taller than zed key so it doesn't matter really if you have a big man or not if Ohio State had a guy who was 6'10", your traditional center, he's still going to have a ton of trouble guarding Zach Eady, who still would have six or seven inches of height on him. He's just an abnormally large human, and recruiting a regular center, quote-unquote, is not going to change that. He's just so big, and they're just set up perfectly around him that you know if you commit more than one guy to stopping him, that you, you have to do that. Um, 
you're going to leave a shooter open every every single time. Yeah, there's two things to that. First of all, I would consider Kofi Coburn to be a very, very good traditional center. When Purdue played Illinois, Zach Eady had 20 points, eight rebounds, three blocks. He made Kofi, and Kofi Coburn struggled all game. Like it's just what it is. Um, and also, Purdue's a lot of play, and Purdue's always this way, but they're especially this way because they're really talented this year. They know exactly what every player should be doing on the floor. The only exception, a little bit, is Jay Ivey because he's so talented. Sometimes he gets a little in his own way, if that makes sense. Um, he can, he just kind of, he, he, he just, he, he can get moving a little too quick. I think that's the best way to word it. But he's still an unbelievable talent as Ohio State fans. And he, I'm going to be seeing Jay Ivey jumpers in my sleep at this point. Um, he's incredibly talented. He's going to be a top ten pick in the draft this year. So when when you put that kind of talent onto a team of Mason Gillis's, Sasha Stefanovic's, Eric Hunter Jr.'s, guys who know exactly what role they need to play, plus you have a guy who Trayvon Williams is probably overall your second best player. He's comfortable coming off the bench at 19, and he plays 20 minutes a game. Zach Eady's comfortable only playing 20 minutes a game to let Trayvon Williams play because they can't be on the floor together. Literally, they're never. Zach Eady played 21 minutes. Trayvon Williams played 19. There's 40 minutes in the game. I'll let you guys do the math on that one. They don't play together. They can't. So they are very comfortable. Just It's kind of like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt for the Browns, in, even though they kind of play together. But you see what I'm saying? They're comfortable with being really good, but still having maybe a little bit of lack of minutes in that regard because they know the other one is really talented too. And, you know, I saw some people talk about the bench. They were talking about the bench scoring on the on the broadcast. It's like, I mean, for Purdue, they brought Trayvon Williams and Jay Navi off the bench. It's not exactly the most fair comparison in the world. That's your two best players, talent-wise. So, yes, the bench scoring is going to be a little bit altered in that. And it still wasn't incredibly different. But, um, in fact, I think Ohio State might have out – let's see, they had 33 and they didn't outscore them. But they got close. So, you know, it's kind of an unfair comparison there because Jaden Ivey was, came off the bench for Purdue in this one. But um, it's just a team of guys who know exactly what they're, what they're doing and know exactly what their role is. And it's kind of compound. It's always like that, but it's compounded because they have some seriously talented players this season too. Yeah. Kind of like when Robbie Hummel was there, those Purdue teams. This is what I compare them to that team. Uh, a loss is a loss. Um, True. The Buckeyes are not – they're not out there to – they didn't show up to Mackey to say, you know, let's see if we can hang with these guys. Let's try to not lose by more than 10. You know, they're not showing up trying to play second fiddle. Like, you know, Purdue is clearly the best team in the Big Ten, and we're just trying to hang with them. They're yeah. trying to get the win, and they're trying to win the conference, which means Purdue – obviously would not win the conference they're trying to show they're a better team than purdue and can beat purdue but playing on the road in college is really difficult Mackey arena especially is one of the toughest places to win in the country and purdue has maybe their best team since matt painter's been there so it's been almost 20 years this is if not the best team one of the best teams so it's still a loss um there were things that ohio state when you look back at they could have done much better. They started one of 12, I think, from a three-point range, which dug them down into a 20-point hole. The second half, they were much better from the three-point range. Just goes to show that you know those numbers most of the time are going to come back to level. Unfortunately, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in the first half, and that just dug them a deep, deep hole. Um, they didn't turn the ball over a bunch. I think they may have had fewer than 10 turnovers. They only turned the ball over six times. They were only out-rebounded by Purdue by six. They did a lot of good things, but I would say their biggest mistake is just they just fell in too deep of a hole in the first half. You know, you cannot expect to outscore Purdue by 20 points in their house over the final, you know, like 
15 minutes of a basketball game. It's just not going to happen. So a, a loss is a loss. They lost to Purdue. They are they fell a bit in the standings. Um, but, I mean, they hung with them. They played well. But at the end of the day, I don't think that anybody's happy with the moral victory. A, a loss is still a loss. Yeah, and um, at the end of the day, you know, we can kind of move on from this because I think we've we've we touched on the biggest thing. But what, what really killed him, and this is what Holtman pointed to, was not even really the first half. was just them coming out when you're down by nine and then that quick 8-0 run Purdue had and jumped it to 17. If that doesn't happen, Ohio State probably was this game um, because it probably goes more the way the Duke game went, which was Ohio State never – they got down by 10 or to 11, but they never got into that 15, 20-point hole that feels impossible they got up. They always felt like Ohio State was kind of right there and kind of nipping on their heels. Then they made a couple of big plays late and won the game. This was kind of like they needed a miracle, basically. I mean, six straight, you know, a, a six, two threes in a span of 20 seconds and a Kyle Young kind of miracle steal. They needed a miracle to even tie it up. And like we were talking about before we went on air, I never felt like they were going to win this game, even when it was tied. I was like, you produce the ball at the end of the game. They're going to score. Some Somebody's going to score. I didn't think it was going to – once the play started breaking down, I was like, oh, maybe they'll get lucky. And then Jay Navi hit a miracle shot. But the fact of the matter is Ohio State scored 48 points in the second half against a good Purdue defensive – I mean, Purdue's a decent defensive team. They can – this is why Purdue is, is good and bad because they can really lock down, but there's, sometimes they get pretty lazy – um, on defense, and they kind of got lazy in the second half, and Ohio State made him pay. Um, another quick just mention I want to make, shout out to Chris Holtman for not auto-benching Malachi Branham. Now, what auto-benching is, is if a player picks up two quick fouls in the first half, a lot of times coaches will just immediately bench him and say, okay, we can't have you in. We can't have you picking up a third foul. We can't have you doing this. You're going to sit the rest of the first half. Malachi Branham picked up his second foul with like, I mean, literally two minutes into the game, he picked it up right what Zed Key did. He benched Zed Key, but he kind of – he benched Malachi Branham at first, but he brought him back in with like 12 minutes left in the first half and let him kind of play. And Branham had a great first half, and he – I mean, Branham had a great game in general. And it just – it showed how much confidence he has in that freshman not to pick up that third foul. Branham finished the game with only three fouls. Um, so that was a really good coaching decision there. As someone who gets criticized way too much, that was a really good coaching decision. Real quick, just before I forget about it, to branch off non-basketball news, um, I don't know if you just saw it, Jim Harbaugh not taking the Vikings job. He is heading back to the University of Michigan in the fall. Good. He can get his ass whooping. Holy cow. Man, that is. Did he turn it down, gonna, or did did they just say no to him? It, it just said that he has called the University of Michigan and said he plans on returning to the to Michigan in the fall for you know he's not taking an NFL job. So I don't know if that means Vikings didn't hire him or he turned down the job. Doesn't matter. Just <laughs> what an insane, what an insanely entertaining series of events to basically go and take an interview on National Signing Day. Make it super clear that you are very interested in going back to the NFL. So this class of recruits and probably the next few classes of recruits, it like doesn't matter what he could say to a recruit. They're, they know he's he's definitely going to leave for the NFL in the coming years. And then after pissing off the fans and probably Immensely. some of the players. The message, bo- the message boards had turned 
heavily the, against them. The message board geniuses are tripping out. Every people, are, I shouldn't say everybody. People are furious, and then he spins back around. He's like, "All right, no, no, I'm, I'm back. We're good." Anyway, I just wanted to branch off because that's just absolutely crazy. It was reported yesterday that it was pretty much a done deal, and now it's not. Um, so, getting off of that soapbox, back to um, Ohio State. I think that kind of raises the next question of what what should the expectations for Ohio State men's basketball be on the national scale? Because what we saw from a lot of people after this game were saying, you know, there are no such thing as moral victories. And on top of that, um, can Chris Holtman make this team a perennial top 10 team? Um, Should this game, should we be happy with number 16 Ohio State going to play at number six Purdue? Should it be number five Ohio State going to play at number six Purdue every single year? Um, is it is it too mediocre? Um, and I just, I don't think that Ohio State is a basketball blue blood. I don't think it's a top 10 program in the country. I think it's probably around the top, 50, a top 15, top 20 program in the country. So I think keeping your team in the AP poll every single season like they have been is about what you'd expect. And if your expectations are that Ohio State should be in the top 10 all season long, every single season, I I don't think that that is Ohio State basketball right now or historically. I think the interesting part about that conversation is people will say that to discredit Chris Holman, right? They'll say, they'll look at what Mata did through like 2000, basically starting in 2006, ending in 2013, because that was when they played Wichita State in the Elite Eight. Um, and they'll say that's what Ohio State should be, which was like two Final Fours, a national championship appearance, and I think two Elite Eights, which which still it was just, which is good. You know, nobody's discrediting Mata was Mata knew what he was doing, but the fact that the expectation has stayed there is a credit to Chris Holtman. Okay, he he walked into this program and yes, using modest players, which I'll never agree with in terms of like that's why they were good. You have to coach a basketball game, folks. Um, players play, of course, but coaches coach. If you have a good coach, a bad coach can turn a bad, a good team into a bad team. A bad coach can't. It's that simple. So a good coach, yes, they were modest players, but he was still coaching them. And he was still getting – that was when Keita Bates-Diop became Big Ten Player of the Year. That's coaching too. You know, Obviously, credit to Keita Bates-Diop for it. Um, you look at Mata's last four years, they lost in the first round. They lost in the second round only because of D'Angelo Russell. They should have lost that game to VCU, but Russell had 35. Then they went to the NIT and lost in the second round. And then Mata's last season, they did not even make the NIT. Okay, so it's not like Chris Holman was taking over this team that just went to a national championship. He took over a team that hadn't made the tournament in two years and flipped that to a team that went to the second round of the tournament. And it's kind of mind-blowing to me how people always talk about lack of success in the tournament. Because let's, let's break it down. Chris Holman's first year. You play South Dakota State as a five seed, the 12 seed, which was a nightmare matchup, mind you. Nightmare. They beat them. Then they played the four seed Gonzaga. So four is higher than five and lost. Only because they got down 15 nothing to start the game. That was it. They, they outplayed them the rest of the game, but they lost. Okay. Second round, second year. They're a 10 seed or 11 seed and they beat the six seed and then they lose to the three seed. That's not underperforming. That's overperforming in the tournament. You're an 11 seed. You're not supposed to win the first game. The next year, they didn't have a tournament. The next year was Oral Roberts. Yes, I agree. Bad loss. 
but we're using some recency bias when it comes to Ohio State in the national tur- in, in the in the in the NCAA tournament. This of uh, four years, Chris Oldman's only had one bad appearance in the tournament. So I don't really understand the whole like he's got to make it to the Sweet Sixteen. I agree with this team; he should. But the tournament is such a fickle thing. Oh, I won't say that word, but it's, it's a thing. It's a it's so it's so matchup based. And even the Oral Roberts matchup, we had Kevin Sweeney on here from Sports Illustrated who talked about it. That's a nightmare matchup for a two seed. And yes, you should beat a fifteen seed. I'm not arguing that. But you look at Ohio State; they were hurt. Kyle Young didn't play. Justice Suing was hurt. C.J. Walker was hurt. E.J. Liddell had said how tired he was. You know, it just happens. Things happen. Every other year, they had either overperformed or performed the way they should have. And I think his best tournament team, ready team, was that third year because they were flying into that tournament. They were on a high. And then COVID shut it down. So I just I don't really understand the expectation for this team. I don't understand why people think they have to go to Final Four every, Final Four every year to be good. They have a top five recruiting class coming in next season. That's fantastic. I mean, I don't, you know, it's it's a little mind blowing to me when people talk about he can't win the big game. What is the big game? I don't. It's college basketball. I don't understand what what you mean by that. He's beaten I more. Think, he's beaten more ranked teams than he's lost to. That's winning think, the big game. I, I, I think. If, I think if anything, um, his Ohio State's regular season losses since since he's gotten here. I almost feel like they do pretty well in in big games that are it's hyped fantastic. up and and the games that they end up losing i think sometimes are like road games against teams that they're clearly better than like getting tripped up like at, at Penn Rutgers, State yeah, or like at that. Rutgers or at Minnesota i feel like those are the games that ohio state loses that they they should not lose but i think for the most part when ohio state has like big home games versus michigan state going on the road to illinois stuff like that i feel like more often than not this team exceeds expectations i do differ from you a little bit on the expectation of a good season i think that um if you want to say that ohio state is a top 15 to top 20 program i think your expectation pretty much every season should be to try to make the sweet 16 um i think that if you don't win a game in the tournament there there's going to need to be some answers as to what happened down the stretch how you did not win a single game in the tournament um i think you win one i think you win one game what's that once I was just gonna say in that to that I didn't mean to cut you off, but to that regard, that's happened once, and I agree that was bad. If you win one game in the tournament and then lose after that, I think if you were a high seed, like a four, five, six, or better, I think that you probably should still expect to be in the Sweet Sixteen. The year that Ohio State beat um, Iowa State as like a ten or eleven, that's not a team that you should stamp and say they needed to be in the Sweet Sixteen, but. Most of his teams have not been a 10 or 11 seed. They have been a at max like a 5 seed. So I think that the one thing that you can criticize these teams for, um, they, they have not gone to the Sweet 16 yet, not even once. And they've had a 2 seed. They've had a 5 seed. This year they are going to be, at worst, it's looking like a 5 seed. So I think you should expect that. I don't think that a coach is going to be fired for having great regular seasons and bad tournament. But that's not really what we were trying to get at. Um, you know, we'll see how they do in the tournament this year. I think that criticism about lack of success in the tournament in general is warranted. I don't think it's enough to fire somebody, but we're more concerned about the expectation for that program. And I just, Ohio State's won one national championship. They've been around for 115, 120 years. They have won a singular national championship. They have been to the Final Four once in the past decade. They have won the Big Ten 
once in the past decade. Um, if you stack it up against the Michigan States, the Michigans, the Indianas, the, like they don't compare to those programs historically. So to to say that you know they should be a, a perennial top ten team, they should be gunning for Final Fours every year. I don't I don't think that that's accurate. I think that they are right, probably where you would expect them to be on a national scale. They're not a blue blood. Um, so I just think that some people are a little bit uh, expecting a little bit more, maybe because Ohio State football is a blue blood, because Ohio State football um, is expected to be a top five team every year. Anything, anything less is a failure. It's, it's not how it works when you cross over into basketball. Yeah, and I think my, only, my main point about the tournament thing was and the expectation for the regular season, I think it should be, if we're talking about a regular season, probably contend for a Big Ten title, winning one every four or five years, right? And that's what they're doing right – like this year is a great example of that. The Big Ten is loaded. They're contending. They're still there. I mean, after tonight, Wisconsin, uh, if you're listening to this, after Wednesday night, Wisconsin playing Illinois, plays Illinois. One of those teams will move to nine and uh, eight and two in the conference, and Ohio State is six and three. So they're like a game and a half behind first place which is either going to be wisconsin or illinois after wednesday night it's you're listening to this on thursday you'll know who won that game but regardless um in terms of the tournament i think it's just i've looked at in chris holtman's tenure i think they've had one sweet 16 team personally i don't think that five seed was a sweet 16 team because they played a four seed that was better than them you know that's that gonzaga team was very good uh it was bad draw before seed so you know, and, and last year happened. I get it. I think I just I think it's a lot of recency bias in terms of people thinking about last year and kind of attributing to his entire tenure. And I don't think that's accurate. So that that's where I kind of stand on that. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I would, the fact I that think they, they would have been a top five seed three or two years ago when the COVID got canceled, they would have been a probably three or four seed. I think it's very good that it he took over a team like I said, hadn't made the tournament in two years, and in four years. Had, would have had three teams that were top five seeds. I think that's very good for a regular season expectation. I would push back just a little bit on the the Gonzaga team. I understand that the year with the Gonzaga actually that's that's a tough matchup. You're taking you're getting a really really loaded roster as a four seed. But I think Ohio State's team, you know, they they started out that game. They were down like seventeen and nothing to start the game. You've got Jay Sean Tate, future NBA player, Kata Bates Diop, future NBA player, uh, Caleb Wesson, all conference guy. Um, that was, that was such a good team. Um, I think that that team, the expectation also should have been sweet 16. And when you get into the second round, the round of 32, you're going to play teams that are just as good as you. You don't get to play a 12 seed. Now, are you good enough to overcome and beat a team that is just as good, if not better than you? And they weren't. So I, I think that that year, that team is a team that you sh- we should have expected to make the sweet 16 and they didn't. So I would just, I would push back a little bit. I think that his teams have fallen short in the tournament when you look at the whole whole resume of work in five years. You should have expected more than how many tournament wins have they gotten? Two or three in five years? Should have expected more than that in this period of time. However, that's not enough to fire a guy. To fire Holtman because he can't get to the Sweet 16, he's still competing no, for big fire titles Holtman every does, season. Yeah, fire Holtman, that's, just, that's not something you even take seriously at this point. Um, I also... I, you know, I also have been, I've, I've just personally, I've been starving for a Big Ten title or any kind of success in the tournament for a decade since I've, you know, been in, in middle school, basically. So I, at times, I probably also fall into the same trap as some of the not as realistic fans, just because it's been so long since 
you know, you see like Michigan, just they go to elite eights every single year. Like it's their job. They get hot in February. They do it just like it's their job. You know, Michigan state every single year, they're very good. Um, I also, I've just been, I've been starving just for even just a sweet 16. So I think that they've had a few teams that have been that good and they've fallen short, but in general, he's done a good job and you should, Ohio state's not a top 10 program nationally. No, and it, honestly, just to me, it's kind of wild that Gonzaga team was a four seed because they have five NBA players on that team. Killian Tilley, Zach Norvell, Josh Perkins, Corey Kispert, and Rory Hachimura all were on that team. So it's kind of wild they were even a four seed to begin with. And I think just like 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 you said, like two – granted, yes, two NCAA tournament wins in four years is correct. But like a little contact, you know, one of those tournaments didn't even happen. You know, and then they've – you know, the Oral Roberts thing, again, not disagreeing, that was bad, you know. But um, I think that was just in terms of this year will say a lot, I think. And it kind of sucks because um, the way – and we can talk about this next. The way February shaping up to be like they're going to play a lot of basketball. It might not look like they're getting some guys back. They want it back. You know, this year could be a little shaky too. I'm not already building in excuses as people will say. But um, I do – I just wish I could see this team healthy for once. Golly. Where was I? Yeah, that, that really turned into a – a huge ramble there. And also just to make it even more convoluted, a sidebar, I just saw also about Harbaugh that he has informed Michigan that he will stay at Michigan as long as they want him there as head coach. So that's just the whole a, dumb, bit that's of, a dumb thing to say though. Like what if like, cause something could open up that like you can't say no to, you know? So I, I wouldn't say so that. So that whole bit about now for the coming years, you know, recruits might be hesitant. He's saying, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm going to stay here as long as Michigan wants me here, which you're also right though. It's like, what if um, in in three years, Bill Belichick retires and, and the Patriots are like, we yeah. want you to be our next head coach. Does that mean that he says, no, I'm not going to the Patriots. I'm going to stay at Michigan. Yeah. I don't know. Mike Tomlin moves on. And the, yeah. You know, you it has can't nothing to do with basketball. I just think it's really interesting and it's, it's unraveling as we're recording this. The next game Ohio state has, um, Assuming the game is still on, we should know by the time this comes out, is Iowa. Um, Iowa is 4-6 and six in Big Ten play. They have the conference's leading scorer, Keegan Murray. Four guys score in double digits for them, so a very good offensive team. According to Ken Palm, number seven offense in the country. However, however, Max Kellerman, uh, 12th best defense in the Big Ten. I believe they're number 109 in defense, according to Ken Palm, which is kind of like what what we're used to seeing from Iowa every year. Yeah, uh like last year where it was pr- they probably played the best game, best offensive game like I watched that 89-85 game. EJ Liddell, like all the starters had double digit scoring. It was one of those Dwayne Washington games where like he looked okay but he was 6 for 15. It was like ah. But, you know, they had Luca Garza, Jovi's camp. Keegan Murray was a starter but he wasn't he wasn't that guy yet, you know. Um, Jordan Bohannon was on his seventh year of college and now he's on his eighth. Um, you know, they, this is a different looking Iowa team than last year. Excuse me. Uh, Luca Garza and Reese camp have moved on to the NBA. Um, Connor McCaffrey is a starter, but he won't be, it looks like he won't be playing. I guess it matters if the game is played tomorrow. I was watching the game against Penn state where he got hurt and I, I still don't know what happened, but he was in a shit ton of pain. So whatever it was, it was his shoulder. So whatever it was, it, he was in a lot of pain. And then Jack Nungy was their best guy off the bench. He's now moved on to Xavier, as Ohio State fans know, because he kind of lit them up. 
he just plays well against Ohio State because last year he had 18 points, six rebounds on 23 minutes. He lit him up this year against um, when they played Xavier. So I don't know. Jack, Jack Nungy likes playing Ohio State. Um, but Ohio State won that game. Justin Arns had three three-pointers in the last two minutes to kind of kind of won them the game. It was only nine points of the game. And also Justin Arns, when he was a freshman, had 29 points against Iowa. So he, he tends to show at least one of the times they play. Um really show up, but we'll see because he is – I mean, he only played 11 minutes against Purdue, as people have pointed out, that he shouldn't be playing. Um, I don't know why people keep saying that because he's not right now. He only played 11 minutes. So he is losing those minutes to Cedric Russell and to Eugene Brown. Um, and it'll just be one of those games – I mean, Justice Suing had a great game, so that's kind of stinks that we won't see him. But it'll, this is a game where you, you just got to score the basketball. You know, I was going to score. They got enough talent. Keegan and Chris Murray are really good. Uh, Patrick McCaffrey's had a great year. Jordan Bohan is just Jordan Bohannon. You know, I mean, he is what he is. Um, he's averaging, I think, 10, 10 points per game, but he does, you know, some games he doesn't even really try to score. He's kind of weird in that regard. But Keegan Murray's their guy. And I think that, I think we just talked about Purdue being a really bad matchup. I think Iowa was a really good matchup for Ohio State because Keegan Murray is a great player, but he's not huge. He's not extremely, extremely physical. I think sometimes he can be a little too. Um, I guess non-aggressive is the word. Like against soft. Penn State, yeah, not, not, not even soft. not even not even like soft. Just like just passes too much. He's too pass happy sometimes. Um, he he, you know, and I say that as a guy who's averaging twenty-two points per game, but he he could just sometimes you want him to just take over the game, and he doesn't really do it until he has to. Um, but he, you know, E.J. Liddell and Kyle Young and Zed Key are good defensive matchups for him. You know, you don't have incredibly great guards that score. Their top three scores are all forwards. Um, so, you know, Jamari Wheeler can kind of have can kind of just play Jordan Bohannon as he likes to, which is just, you know, take their own ball defender and just completely move him out of the equation. Um, and as long as you can hold Keegan, you kind of just let Keegan Murray get his, you know, let him get his 20 and 10, who cares? You shut down everybody else and you win the game. They're a very, um, how do I put this, offensively, Iowa is a very, um, gosh, what word am I looking for? Streaky. What? Not streaky. There's a word. It's it's the escaping the tip of my tongue here. Fundamentally sound, I guess, is a very good way to put them. They score a ton. They score at a high rate. They're not a great shooting team, but they uh, they have 16 assists per game, and they only turn the ball over eight times a game. So they take care of the basketball. They move the basketball. They do not turn the ball over. They shoot free throws very well. They are. Um, a top 10 offense in terms of efficiency. They're one of the better rebounding teams in the conference. They're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the conference. Um, they are second in the conference in offensive rebounds. So, you know, all around in the offensive end, very fundamentally sound. Um, Keegan Murray is going to be their guy. He's going to get a lot of looks. They've got a couple other guys, Bohannon, uh, Keegan Murray's twin brother, Chris Murray is solid as well. Um, just all around, they're going to prevent. They're going to present challenges to Ohio State defensively. We know it. Ohio State's getting better on defense. They're going to have problems at times against Iowa. They're probably going to give up at least seventy points at home or not. Doesn't matter. They're probably going to struggle. But Iowa is probably a worse defensive team than Ohio State is. So they they're going to have to make their money. Like you said, they're going to have to make shots. This is a make shots game. You don't. If you don't make shots in basketball, you don't win basketball games. They are going to have to make some shots and outrun and outgun Iowa 
because they're a very fundamentally sound offense that is probably going to look to exploit Ohio State on defense. Buckeyes aren't great on defense. Iowa might be worse. I was just impressed looking at the stats at Iowa, how little they turn the ball over, how well they share the ball. Like They check a lot of the boxes offensively that you'd want to check for a good team. But defensively, they're so bad. That's why they're four and six in conference play. Yeah, this is the game where I think you could even make – he won't do this, but you could think about really kind of switching up the starting lineup and putting Liddell at the five, Orange at the four, and then starting your Jamari Wheeler, Michi Johnson, Malachi Branham like they did against Purdue and really go small and just try to make as many shots early as you can. Um, like I said, you could even pull Orange out and put in Kyle Young, but – I think this is a game where Arns can be very effective because he's a good shooter. He still is a good shooter, you know, and guys have to shoot out of slumps. So it's a game he could maybe shoot out of it. I don't know uh, if he'll do that, but I, I, he'll probably stick to the normal starting line that they did against Purdue. But um, we'll see. And a lot of their, you know, they have scored a lot of points. They average 82 a game. But when you look at kind of where those have come early in the season, they scored 106 against Longwood. They scored – 108 against Alabama State, 109 against Western Michigan, which is terrible this year. They scored um, 94 against Utah State, 93 against Southeastern Louisiana. So they're scoring 92 against Western Illinois. So they're scoring a lot of points on these really, really bad teams that they've kind of beat the hell out of. Um, in conference play, that number is a lot, a lot lower. So they're still scoring a, a good amount of points, but they gave up 87 to Wisconsin. They gave up, you know, 71 to Minnesota, who's not the best offensive team in the world. 83 to Purdue, you know, 90 last night to Penn State, granted double overtime, but still, um, you know, this is just a team where, again, 89-85, I don't think it'll be that high scoring, but I could see it being 82-75 to or something like that. Ohio State is favored only by five, though. Um, I think that – And that's because on the – well, it's at home, actually, so I don't know. They're at home. Yeah, yeah, they're at home. uh, I mean, they're they're a very good offensive team, so I think this is going to be a tight game – I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. I don't think Ohio is going to pull away, but um, they are favored in this game. They should win this game. You know, they just lost. They just lost at Mackey. So I personally am very much a proponent of the up-down theory in college sports, which is I never want to play a good team after they just lost. And therefore, I think that Ohio State's going to have a good game against Purdue. There is no, there probably is data to back this up, but I'm not going to, dive into it and, and calculate but i just feel like what you don't ever want to play a good team after they just lost a game because i feel like they oftentimes they're going to bounce back so i think that ohio state's going to pull it out but it's probably going to be a, a close one with a lot of scoring well and, and and i agree and i'll i'll end it with this i was not the deepest team in the world uh, they don't play you know they they tend to really focus they tend to rely on their starters and two or three guys off the bench iowa Adding in these travel, let's say this game is actually played today on Thursday tonight. Adding in the travel issues they've had, they played Penn State Monday in a double overtime game. Right, so that game didn't end until ten o'clock. Ohio State played Purdue, albeit a, a very up and down, a very taxing game. At noon on Sunday, they were done by two two thirty. You know, so I was not. They're not going to be fresh for this game, and they're also coming off a game at Purdue. Those up and down, back and forth that they lost. So it, it's that I'm going to be very curious to see just how conditioned this Iowa team is because they, like I said, they just played Monday night up until like nine thirty or ten o'clock at night, had to travel back to Iowa, 
now they're having or now they're having these issues traveling. They're not going to get to Columbus till Friday till Thursday afternoon at the earliest. You know, they're going to be kind of a little bit out of sorts in my opinion. So this is a team that you just jump on quick, kind of like the Northwestern game. You know, you jump on them quick and then they'll probably hang around because they're a talented enough offensive team, but it shouldn't be a game where you really feel like you're losing too much of it, if that makes sense. And then if this game Again, by the time this comes out, we'll know. But hypothetically, if this game cannot be played, if they say postponed, then Ohio State would have one, two, three, four, five. They'd have 11 games over the next 32 days, if my math is correct. Um, I think the Big Ten tournament begins. um, I guess the Big Ten tournament doesn't start until March 10th, technically, with Michigan being the final home game of the season, I guess technically Ohio State could put a home game that couple days before the Big Ten tournament, but I doubt it. They're probably going to slide any postponements. So right now, Nebraska before March 6th, which is 32 days away. So if the Iowa game gets canceled, they are essentially going to be playing a basketball game one every three days until the, the season ends, which you said before we started to record It's a lot like last season, how they walked into the Big Ten tournament tired and sore and beat up and injured, which directly contributed to some of the struggles they had in the NCAA tournament. So not ideal to have 11 games in a 32-day stretch if this Iowa game gets canceled. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about that is I do think the double bye is huge for them this year. Top four teams get double bye. If they could get that, that'd be huge because it would leave – at most they play three tournament games and – I think I think the double buy is just huge. So right now they're sitting in fifth. The Ohio State Michigan State game could be huge for that fourth uh, fourth place game for that fourth place and that double buy come March. But I think that's what they need to be gunning for the double buy. Obviously, it'd be great if they won the conference, but they need to be gunning for the double buy. Well, we went pretty long winded there on the uh, the what are the expectations for the program. So I think we'll probably cut it about there. That'll probably do it for today i'm gonna go make some dinner here the grocery store was absolute zoo last night because of the snowstorm that is blowing through ohio right now before i hop off shout out to memorial gymnasium at vanderbilt i went down to nashville last weekend um it was a great time went to a vanderbilt versus georgia game saw our favorite coach tom crean there um got to watch scotty pippen jr he's going to be an nba draft pick he was super entertaining and it was a way cooler arena than the shot. The Vanderbilt arena is old. It's got a ton of character. Um, it's kind of built like an auditorium with the elevated floor. So shout out to Vanderbilt. If you found us on the Land Grant Holy Land website, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify. Um, or if you're weird, Apple Music, you can find us in the Land Grant Holy Land podcast feed. Yeah, and if you're uh, you know if you're on Twitter, make sure you follow us on the Bucketheads LGHL account for in-game updates as well as updates throughout the week. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Justin underscore Golba. And if you're a Michigan State fan, you want to harass Connor because he thinks you suck, you can follow him where. Uh, you can continue to bully me on Twitter at Lamons, which is L-E-M-O-N-S underscore oh, did Connor. Did you say yours? My bad. Uh, no, I didn't say mine yet. That's my Twitter. Oh, um, but if Michigan State fans are wandering here, they probably already know it because they all assaulted me last night. Um, have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening. Go Bucks. <laughs>